Hi, this is Pastor Kent Clark, CEO of Grace Centers of Hope and Senior Pastor at Grace Gospel Fellowship in the heart of downtown Pontiac, Michigan. I've been a pastor for over 50 years and the CEO of Grace Centers of Hope for over 40 years. In that time, I've witnessed the complete transformation of men, women, and children from addiction, abuse, and homelessness to sober, God-honoring, and community-driven family men and women. It's been an honor to watch God do His work over and over again from the inside out through our programs and ministry here at Grace Centers. Because I've heard so many great stories of redemption, restoration, and revival, I decided to start our first podcast, Through the Grace Vine. It's an opportunity for me to discuss in depth the testimonies and interesting details of those who have passed through these doors and have come out the other side, change men and women. On today's episode, we have Mary, one of my favorite people. Hello. A daughter. Uh, in the bonds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mary, we're glad to have you today. So Mary, how many years has it been since you went through Grace Centers of Hope? I graduated the year program in 2016. And what's going on right now in your life? Where are you now? What are you doing? I'm working at the (laughs) Women's Center. Um, I have a great boss. You might know her, your wife. Yes, I do know her. Her Majesty. Yes, the best. Um, I'm the resident supervisor there. Awesome, and you do a great job. Thank you. And and not only are you uh, employed here at Grace Centers, but your husband as well, right? Yes. We'll talk about that a little later on. Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, back up a little. Let's talk about life before Grace Centers of Hope. Can you just tell us your story? Sure, I'd love to. Um, Well, I came from Ferndale, that's where I grew up, not far from here. Surprisingly, I never knew this place existed, even though it's not far. But um, my parents split when I was nine, so that caused a huge divide in our family. but it allowed me to get into a lot more trouble because, you know, single parent households aren't as closely monitored. No fault of my parents, but I just was a troublemaker. At nine years old? Yes. Okay. And beyond, and it got worse. Um, I would get in trouble with my friends and we would do just petty stuff around the neighborhood and then it graduated into like smoking and ended up setting some things on fire some of them on accident some not just trouble do you know why you started fires for fun attention maybe maybe way to get attention yeah yeah i didn't even notice what damage it did my parents splitting up until I came here to Grace and actually it was Miss Pam's class um, the last will and testament class she has you write sort of like a will from your parents talking about what they've left you like maybe unhealthy coping mechanisms or traits that you may have picked up from them because Ms. Pam asked me when I was in the program what kind of things did you go through as a kid or maybe learn that may have affected you and at the time I'd say oh my family was great my upbringing was great because my parents didn't do drugs they didn't drink they didn't even smoke cigarettes and I'd heard some stories of people whose parents But I learned in her class, like, no. I learned my parents, just like me, and everyone, are sinners. And they were learning as they went, the same way I do, as a mom. So, looking back, I can see I learned a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms, like uh, rage, getting angry, shutting down, walking away, running away. 
While you were out there, and I'm talking about before you came to Grace Centers, you had children? Yes, I. that was one of the first um, addictions was to men. Mm -hmm. And I um, ended up getting pregnant when I was 17 with my first daughter. Um, that relationship, I don't know if I'd even call it that. The father of my daughter was abusive and I just stayed because I thought I could fix him maybe, but then another part of me thinks that I stayed because he was so mean that to me, I almost looked at that as a form of protection for me because like no one's going to mess with me if I'm with him, but at the same time, he was also mean to me. Mm -hmm. It turned into physical abuse later on, and I left. I ran away because <laughs> I ended up also getting caught with drugs. Um, this was after my daughter was born, but I was still doing bad things, and I got caught with drugs, put on probation. Um, I was a mess. I was doing cocaine at the time, and actually I um, had a, I was put on probation for possession of drugs and also domestic assault because I was, I'd been up for three days, I was sleep deprived, I got in a fight with my dad and I punched him in the face and made his face bleed. Hmm. So before you came to Grace Centers, how many children had you given birth to? Two. Two. You was talking about some of the issues that you have. Would you say that those children picked up on the same issues? Oh yeah. That you have and are needing help and guidance in life as we go through those issues. Um, those, those are important and that's what we do here at Grace Centers. It's not just the parent, but the children with the parent. And we certainly realize that children have a lot of issues that need to be uh, dealt with. So, okay, so you're out there and now you've started using, using drugs at what age? I started smoking weed and drinking and doing cocaine and pills when I was well, drinking and smoking pot at about 11, and then around 13, I graduated to pills and cocaine. Wow. For the high? I mean, were you, was life that miserable? Um. No, it was just what we were all doing. It's just the difference was friends of mine were able to do it on weekends or, and then go back to real life, whereas I didn't want to let that feeling go. Mm -hmm. So were your parents aware that you were using at 11 years old? No. No. So you could hide it, cover it up. How would you do that? Would you have overnight stays with friends or? Yes. And my dad, well, both my parents worked a lot because it was single parent households. So I could get away with more. I mean, they really did do their best, but I was sneaky and depraved. <laughs> <laughs> Were you living with mom or dad? I went back and forth. Back and forth? Throughout the years. How did that work, really, for you? Uh, with a, the breakup of mom and dad and you're going back and forth, did that... That had to be uncomfortable to some degree. It was. Yeah. So every uh, week or so, you're packing up and moving to one of your parents' places? Yeah, I, I think I remember the arrangement was, I was with my dad maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays and every other weekend, something like that. But he would drive me to school, whichever school district I was in at the time, he would drive me on the days I was with him. And for how many years was this uh, progressive, the drug use and all that goes along with that. Was it several years? How old were you? 
I'd say it started at 13 and it just got progressively worse. And you came to Grace Centers, how old were you? 20. You're not supposed to ask a woman how old she is. <laughs> Let's see. 26. I was 26. You were 26. When I came here, yes. Wow. So all of those years were meshed in the mess of life, uh, drug use and men. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, was there, um, did you have any moral standard? I mean, was it, were there things you would not do or? Yes. Um, you know, I wouldn't, well, I felt like I wasn't hurting anybody with my drug use. Like, I wouldn't steal from people, you know. So I felt like I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not hurting anybody else. Yeah. But it was, I was, I was hurting people. Certainly yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So um, during those years, you said you had a, a male addiction. Mm-hmm. Did you have a lot of men friends or? Yes. Uh-huh. And were those, uh, were moral standards? Uh, were you sleeping with men in, in that immoral sense? Uh, there wasn't that binding marriage and family and children. That wasn't a goal? Well, after my breakup with my second daughter's father, that all went out the window. I think I would call it in the early days a relationship addiction where I would be in a relationship with a man and kind of make him the god of my life. And mm. I had this unhealthy codependency with whether it was my first daughter's dad or my second daughter's dad or maybe one guy in between. After my youngest dad left, uh, left me in the house that we had got together with the girls. I just said, screw it. I don't even care anymore. And I had men, you know, different men every week sometimes. And even if I was only sleeping with them because they would, <laughs> it, it's really sad to say if they would bring me groceries, if they would get my water heater fixed, if they would, you know, I was using sex as a tool because I said, what's the point anymore of even trying to bond with someone because it crushed me when, when my ex left, even though it was not a good relationship. I just had this void in my life that I kept trying to fill with a man and it failed every time because obviously it was a God void that only God could have filled. You know, it is my belief and I think we see it working here that family, mom, dad, and children uh, really is the building block of a solid society. And you started off with mom and dad splitting. And then as a nine, eight, nine-year-old girl, things went downhill from there. And I think that's, that's what we see a lot around here. Yes. But uh, lest our listeners get a little downhearted as we go along, I don't see Mary in the light she just described at all. She's a... Uh, um, I, I would, although she's not very old, I would call her a mother in Israel. She certainly knows the gospel, um, knows the word of God, is married, has her children back with her, and she and her husband are homeowners here at Grace Centers and are really a part of that. So actually when I'm up speaking at church and I see Mary out there, shaking her head yes or amening or putting her hands up. Um, all, all of this past, you know, that's what's wonderful about the gospel. We don't have a past in Christ. We, our sins have been forgiven and we're, 
not looking back, but moving forward in life now. So, all right, so we're at a point. Uh, now, you you got arrested? I did. I, so, you know, after my ex left, I was thinking, you know, I could probably sell drugs to make money for the house payment. Um, that's a justification because I wanted to also use the drugs. So to be quite honest, I didn't end up with much of a profit. Yeah. But that was my thinking. I, you know, I was completely out of my mind. And I started using meth and I would get large amounts of it and I would, I would sell some, but I also did a lot of it. Um, and that just led me down I mean, I truly believe, looking back, that was, without a doubt, a demon. Because when I was, when I was under the influence, I wanted dark, evil things. Like, I started getting into um, tarot cards, things like voodoo. I just wanted it all and I that was never anything I'd been into before you know I really think that was the that was the way Satan tried to get at me mm-hmm. because that's that's what was working for a while for him and um and I knew God I believed in God I my mom dragged me to church when I was little and I hated it. At least when I got to be a teenager, I did. We would go in, I'd walk right out the back door. I was rude. I was rude to these really nice, wonderful women teaching Sunday school. I would just be a little jerk to them. Like looking back, I can't believe I was like that and they were still so nice to me. But that Everything I learned stuck, and now looking back, I'm thankful for it. But between that and around the time I got arrested and everything came to a head, I would go to church, but I looked at it like church is something I'm going to do when I decide to come up for air from this mess I'm drowning in. Okay, maybe this Sunday I'll feel like getting my life together and sure, I'll I'll get dressed up. I'll go to church. I'll try to do the right thing and see how long that lasts when I get home from church and then yeah, down the drain within hours when I got home from church. And usually when I went to church, it I hadn't slept the night before. So I was kind of like in psychosis anyway. Good place to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's different now because uh, it's so different now. But, yeah, I went to jail because I sold meth to somebody who got pulled over. He told them where he got it. Um, a little while later, a bunch of guys busted in my house. Well, they didn't have to bust in. They opened the door and came in. They had guns. My daughter was there and actually a girl that I was babysitting. Imagine that. <laughs> um, a young, another young yeah, girl. Yeah, they were playing. Was this the police that burst in? Police. Um, it was like a SWAT team type deal. Uh-huh. And... Uh, They're screaming, get on the ground. But I was in such a, I was so out of my mind that I, in my head said, oh, there's company, I better go change. Like I went, I held up my finger to say just a second to go back in my room and put something on more decent. That's how out of my mind I was. I didn't understand what was going on and they're yelling, get on the ground, don't move, get on the ground. And they, the police report said something like home was in disarray, um, that I wasn't making any sense. Like, 
And I remember that day, as a matter of fact, I woke up and I'd never in my life considered suicide, actually, ever. Like, I'd be dramatic, you know, I've been dramatic a lot in my life and say, God, I just want to die. But like this, that morning, I really, really thought about killing myself. And I believe it was the, the psychological effects of the drugs. Um, I know it was, but also I was just so tired and I just hated myself so much. And I really didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want my kids to have to go through this anymore. And um, I remember walking back and forth through my living room, my little girls in there. And I just kept saying, I love you. I love you. Like my, my brain was telling me to reassure that I loved her because I really thought I might actually do something about this today. I might actually need to kill myself. Like I might need to for the sake of my children. And then within hours, those police officers busted in my door. Mm. So I, to me, that was divine intervention. And at the time, I mean, I was spitting mad. I was so angry. You've seen my mugshot. I know. I wanted to talk about that too. <laughs> honestly, I, I wouldn't. From that mugshot, you, you weren't well. I could, I could, I could certainly see that. A very sad, depressed, miserable, young lady. Certainly not you now. Yes. Uh, I'd like to use that mugshot sometime. We have used it around here to show the differences: daylight and dark. Yes. Um, from darkness to light, from darkness to Christ, um, my how, how things have changed. So one of your daughters saw that raid or was involved in, in, that, in that raid. Yes. How old was she at that then? She was, let's see, seven. So old enough to remember. Yes. Yeah, and probably does, right? Yes. Yeah. And a lot more than that, too, before that, leading up to it. Yeah. But she's in church and we have her smiling a bit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with the police, was that uh, Oakland County police? Yes. It was. So did they take you to jail? Yes. Yeah. That's where the mugshot was taken, right? Yes. Probably. And... So you were in jail for how long? About four months. Before you went before the judge? Yes. And where was your daughter? She went to stay with her father. Okay. And my youngest went to stay with her father. Okay. So you had two children at that time when you went to, went to jail? Yes. Was that Oakland County Jail? Yes. And so four months have passed. You've been in... Jail, how was that? I mean, how was that going? How was your mind working those four months? No drugs? Well, the withdrawal from meth is, is really hard. I mean, it's different than, say, heroin or something like that, but the psychological effects are really something. And I was... I mean, so angry, first of all, because when I went in, I was like, I was half out of my mind, first of all. I'm pretty sure I was in psychosis, and I don't think it wore off for a few days at least, because I was saying, what? I didn't do anything wrong. I shouldn't be here. This is, I'm a victim here. Like, it was crazy the things I was saying. It didn't make any sense. But I was angry at them and saying that I, they were in the wrong and I was innocent and I need to get out of here. Like, um, I remember that it was maybe that a day or two after I got there, I was still in the holding cell and they heard me yelling 
I mean, just crazy out of my mind. And then I broke down, I started crying, and a lady in the cell next to me was like, you need to stop crying and start praying. And that had to have been God that I did that, that I listened and, and I I just did it like that. And I started praying and I was begging God, like, help me, help me, please. And when I was praying, when I started out praying, I was like praying, God, get me out of this, you know, fix this for me. <laughs> but what he ended up doing, it was like he opened my eyes right there to see who I really was, see me for who I really was, like snapped me out of it. And it just hit me and I was like, what have I done? And I started begging God to forgive me. Over those months, I, I was reading a Bible that was in there and it started like popping out at me. Oh, wretched man that I am. That I had that highlighted and underlined because I'd never read that before. But when I read it, I was like, that's me. That's me. I didn't ever hear the gospel in a way that was telling me what I already knew deep down was that I was a sinner. It left to myself, I'd be depraved. See, all these years I was depraved, but I thought, you know, I'll be a Christian when I feel like being good. I'll go to church when I feel like cleaning up my act and being a good person. The gospel was never presented to me as, this is for you, you bad person, mm -hmm. you sinner. This is specifically for you. So God used that time that I had no choice but to sit in that cell and read it and he made it come alive to me and I finally understood he revealed it to me and we were having prayer circles every night I made some great friends in that jail I really did some friends that actually ended up coming to grace afterward mm. and I can honestly look back on it fondly I mean it was it was painful being away from my kids, what my kids were going through, but how God used it is something that I can look back on and just marvel at and thank him for because that was pivotal, what he did. Yeah, you got arrested by Oakland County officers, but you got arrested by the real officer of the world, God himself, That's took right. you to prison turned you inside out and showed you what you were. Uh, you feel yourself to be a, a vessel of God's grace. Yes. Um, why wouldn't he have passed you by, right? Right, he could have, he should have. Yeah, yeah. He would have been completely righteous to do it. Yeah. He could have left me. But you know now that he loved you from the foundation of the world. Yes. Had your name written down and you had an appointment with him in time where he revealed himself. That's the awesome truth of the gospel, and, and that's what goes on here at, at Grace. Um, folks who come enslaved by the pharmacia, mm. uh, tr truly the spirits or demons. Um, you know, I see all that's happening in today's world, the giveaways, the handouts, the entitlements, the welfare checks. Um, and people are none the better. Yeah. But when Christ comes and there's a revelation that he has loved us and gave himself for us and that we're saved by grace alone, it's a great truth. It's a life-changing life truth. Well, what let's do now is let's go on to better things. So, so you go before the judge, and who was the judge? Do you remember? Phyllis McMillan. Phyllis McMillan. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful lady. Yes. Yes. So you went before the judge, and, and what did she do? Well, she was, well, 
let me back up and tell you, um, when I got there, I had a court-appointed attorney. I'll never forget him because when I came in, I was a nightmare. And he couldn't stand me, rightfully so. When he'd meet with me and I'm like, you got to get me out of this. What are you going to do? And then, you know, after, after God got a hold of me, you know, he would meet with me periodically as time went on. And I... I was trusting God. I was learning to trust God in whatever he was going to do. And also, I'd been told I was going to prison for at least three years, three to five years, maybe more. And it got to where I was like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I, I was down to rock bottom. So that was a great place to be for me to start learning to trust God because I literally didn't have a choice, but I'm glad for it now. You know, I'd lost my kids, my house, my freedom, everything. So we were getting ready to, um, I guess, accept a plea to go to prison um, or just plead guilty and, and go. But then CPS came to visit me also and they said we spoke to the prosecutor and you're definitely going to prison for at least three years So we're gonna close your CPS case And I said, okay, whatever. I don't care and then um, I Met with my court-appointed attorney maybe a month later and he's like something's different and I said yeah, you know I'm starting to trust whatever God's going to do. And he's like, okay, well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. Because he noticed a difference. Um, my parents were talking with the prosecutor who was dead set on sending me to prison. And rightfully so. I deserved it. Um, friends of mine started writing letters to the prosecutor, like character witnesses on my behalf. And then it, it was sounding pretty bleak the, that I wouldn't go to prison. And, you know, my friends in jail who'd been to prison were, like, telling me what to expect and telling me it's really not that bad. So I was really getting myself ready. Then one night I called my mom and she's like, are you sitting down? They're going to let you go to treatment. And I couldn't believe it. And she couldn't believe it. I met with my court appointed and he couldn't believe it. He said, I'm not a religious man, but that had to be divine intervention. I've been doing this 20 years. I've never seen them change their mind like that. They were going to send me to a uh, life challenge or teen challenge in Detroit. And then in court at sentencing... They said, what about Grace Centers of Hope? Now, I'd heard about Grace Centers of Hope through my bunkie. One of my bunkies in jail. She had gone through the program before. She told me about it. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a really great place. But I'm going to prison. But, you know, that would have been nice. So right there in the courtroom, they're like, what about Grace Centers of Hope? They'll take her to probation and stuff. And so they're like, okay. And then they looked at me and they're like, that's a faith-based program. Is that okay? And I held my hands up with my shackles on and gave them thumbs up and uh, got to come here. My parents picked me up. Uh, my dad brought me Taco Bell. My mom drove me to the front doors of 35 East Huron. Taco Bell and Grace Centers? Yes. So I came straight here, didn't make any stops. And I remember walking through the doors. I think I cried for a day straight because I was just in awe that I got to be here. Because I was ready. I was ready to go to prison. And I was accepting what I'd done. And God didn't have to do what he did. It still doesn't really make any logical sense. My attorney couldn't believe it. The prosecutor 
my parents were like, something weird happened. When they were leaving my sentencing, the prosecutor turned, smiled, waved at them, and blew them a kiss. Now, this woman, in the beginning of our court proceedings, was so mean and, and cold towards my parents. They said, yeah, that was weird. We don't know what's going on, but all of it just was so, just so wild and more than I could have expected, but it's like God lets things go on, lets us think certain things are going to happen, and then he steps in and he just does the most amazing things that you can't even deny that it was him, and it, it made my family members and my friends go, whoa, and then not to mention the change they saw in me over these years, having known me in my past, anybody who knew me back then and knows me now, they know it was an act of God to change me as much as he has. So you came to Grace Centers that day and spent a year in our, definitely you have experienced some God interventions, which are absolutely awesome. That's what God does with all of us, uh, uh, that he has loved with an everlasting love and intended. Uh, actually, predestination is not a dirty word. It's really a great word that God in grace and mercy has appointed blessings for us that we don't even expect and certainly do not deserve. Yes. Um, and in time, those comes to pass. So you went through the one-year program here at Grace Centers. When did you get your children back? I got my youngest back near the end of the year. I was actually just starting to work. I was done with the program portion and I went on to job search. And then um, my daughter's dad said, you know, could she come stay with you? He needed to get some stuff together. So I said, sure. So she came to live with me and boy, was that a shock. I mean, it was like I had to learn to be a mom, really, a real mom sure. for the first time ever. I remember the first night that she stayed with me. I didn't even realize I had these compulsions, but I put her to bed and my brain was like, okay, time to start drinking. And I was like, whoa, it freaked me out. I was like, this is all, I'm going to have to relearn all of this because, you know, I didn't even recognize all that. And then getting my daughter adjusted. I would kind of say only just recently happened. And we've been here almost seven years, but that's how much damage I had done as a mother before coming here. But without having the help, I mean, I'm surrounded by help and love and wise women who can help me with parenting. And I wouldn't have made it this far without them. I can tell you that there were days with with my youngest daughter that I would just cry and cry because her behavior, which was my fault, you know, I had created this monster and without the help of the women I work with at the Women's Center and the daycare staff surrounding me, helping me, praying with me, I can tell you, I don't know where I'd be. I would have lost my mind. How old is Sam now, Samantha? 10. 10 years old. Yeah. What a beautiful, sweet young lady she is and has a great voice. Yeah. I heard her singing, How Great Thou Art, right? Yes. Yeah. That was awesome. Only problem is she sang that at a different church, not our church. <laughs> we got to have that happen. Yes, definitely. Grace. Well, so. A lot of other great things down the road for you. Yeah. Uh, um, you graduated from the one-year program, and you know there was this guy <laughs> that kept saying to me, 
uh, Pastor, there's this girl. I'm, I'm not. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to do anything before we get you're okay. And but um, I would like you and Miss Pam to go to dinner with us. Yep. I don't know whether did we ever do that. Yes, finally. finally. I think it was like three years later. <laughs> but you ended up marrying that guy, right? Yes. Yeah, and boy, and and. You lived on, uh, where was your first house? On, uh, not on Seneca. Moreland. Moreland, yeah, on Moreland, that first house. Yes. Neat little house in Grace Village. So after you're in um, aftercare, there's opportunity here at Grace Centers. Uh, which aftercare is having your own room, right? With a bunch of other ladies yes. in a house and paying rent and getting your life back. but. As time went along, you met uh, Joel and married him. Um, and and then other things, you got this house. It was We just rehabbed that house, right? Yes. That little house over there. Yeah. It Well, you're talking about the Moreland house. Yeah. Man, this house was so beautiful. And... It was the first time that I had been to like a house opening at all in Grace Village when you rehab the houses and do a ribbon cutting and the mayor's there and we look at before and after pictures and there's this whole crowd and it just blew me away that I couldn't believe that I was going to get to live there. It was the nicest house I'd ever lived in first of all but just that God had brought us to that point and to live in this beautiful house, I was blown away. I don't know whether, uh, is it picking up those bells ringing? That's good. That's our church chimes uh, yeah. across the street. We, we own uh, the old uh, Clutch Cargo Church building, which was an old um, congregational church building and it, when it was originally built it had those chimes in it so what you're hearing as we're talking is those chimes ringing ringing across the city good news Christ came to save sinners so you lived in that house for how long four years four years but you really wanted your own house you wanted to be a homeowner right we did and we had four children I mean my husband has two children, I have two children, so now we're married, we have four children. Uh, I ended up getting custody of my oldest daughter back, which took me a good four years of going back and forth and fighting and asking and being told no over and over and over again. Um, when I got custody of her back, I had her full time. She'd go to her dad on the weekends, but she would live with me during the week. We had those kids doubled up in that three bedroom house, that beautiful three bedroom house that I loved and honestly wished we could have stayed in because they loved it so much. But we had a 14 year old girl, 12 year old girl, 10 year old girl, eight year old boy. And they were all doubled up in those rooms. And so we said, yeah, we're growing out of it. And we'd been looking and looking around because there was no way we wanted to leave. We had graduated after care and, you know, we're both employed here, but this is our home, this is our church, our community. There was no way we wanted to leave the community. But it took some years of looking and, and saving and trying to be prepared to become homeowners until just the right time. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, you're in that house. The Grace Center says uh, we now have 55 houses here that um, God has in his providence uh, provided for us, we own. Uh, we're really seeing a city, I think, turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pontiac uh, 
you know, like in the book of Acts. So we found a bigger house. We, we got an old house on Fairgrove, which needed a little love and attention, um, which we gave it. And uh, you, you like that old stuff, antique stuff. You, you enjoy both, right? I mean, older houses. Yeah, that house itself is an antique built in 1910. And oh my gosh, it's a dream. The inside, I can't believe I get to live in that house. I mean, it's like something out of a movie. And it's the best. It, it, it displays some of the most beautiful things about these old Pontiac houses, which I love. The woodwork and... We joined the Historical Society, actually, the Pontiac oh, Historical yeah. Society, so we can access the archives and read all about the history. Um, our house was actually built by the man who designed the first GM dump truck. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. His name was William Epps. Ah. Just, we just love this. We just get such a kick out of it, and every day... I mean, just randomly, we'll walk past each other in the house, me and Joel, and go, this is a really nice house. <laughs> I mean, this is a really nice house. Like, we can't believe how blessed we are, how God's blessed us this way. And it truly is a miracle that that you're, you have it, and it's your owners of that house. And uh, so... I remember driving by that house several times. I, I wanted us to get that house, and the guy finally agreed to sell it to us, uh, to Grace, and uh, we got it, and you had your eye on it for a while. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I wanted you to have it, too. I thought you were the perfect couple to have that house. And so you had four children, and this house has how many bedrooms? Well, now six. Six. Yeah. 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 And and now you have two dogs too, right? Oh yeah. What are the dogs' names? Hank and Bo. Hank and Bo are are there. Yep. As well, but this house absolutely is a a beautiful, beautiful home on Fairgrove. Yes. And we're we've redone a lot of like the floors, those oh, beautiful yeah. floors. Yeah. Um, tried to keep the character of the house. I know this spring we're going to have a some kind of grand opening and celebration, even though we don't usually do that after you've lived in it. For You will have lived in it for a year, right? Yep. And we're going to do the, I think the driveway is to be done. Yes. And painted maybe outside too. Some of the woodwork needs. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of good things happening. We'll, we'll invite all of you who are listening today to, to come to that celebration. But so when we sell a house here at Grace Centers, you have to have some skin in it, right? You have to have uh, a down payment, which would have been how much for you guys? It was about nine grand. About nine grand. And had you been saving for that? Yes. Yeah, you'd been preparing um, for that. The house uh, was a little on the expensive side. Yes. Um, and he here's another miracle. I mean, um, one of our one of our major donors uh, asked me uh, about the big tall guy that he had met <laughs> in security, um, and he said, "I'd I'd like to do something for that family, right?" So he basically put a lot of dollars in that house pretty much I probably don't want to say the amount because it was it was an enormous amount really and uh, so you guys had saved the down payment and you have lived in that house it's, it's a total miracle that you're in that house just like your your life uh, and God's grace to you just a miracle story, Mary. I, I I love to hear your story and what God's done for you and Joel and the kids and the dogs. And I can tell you 
the day you called me in, me and Joel in to tell us about that housing opportunity, well, we had been told, you know, that house is probably going to be used for something else. And we were, I mean, of course, we were bummed, but we were like, okay, you know, okay. We're really, really letting God take over and, and not, you know, get into self-pity or or anything like that, trying to trust what God was doing. And, you know, there were situations where we were really at our wits end in our three bedroom with our kids doubled up. And it was really, I actually, we went hunting the day before you told us about it. And I remember sitting in the field with Joel taking a break and we were like, just defeated about the situation thinking what are we going to do what are we going to do and you know there were some situations going on and I said all of this isn't happening all at once for no reason God's got to be doing something we just we gotta endure trust him that next day you and Miss Pam called me and Joel in and told us about this house and I mean, I still haven't gotten over it. <laughs> well, that morning I went to breakfast with this donor and that's when he said, how's that, that family, the big tall guy that was in security he said, I really, I really like him. <laughs> and I told him this situation about the house and he said, I want them to have the house. I will donate that money. Um, and he did. He literally donated a bundle of money. Um, and he, he didn't even know your names. And we would have never known or had any idea. God, whatever interaction Joel had with that donor, all that time, all those years in between, God was doing something we had no idea about. Right. And while we're sitting in that field at the rooster ranch wondering <laughs> what the heck are we going to do, God already had all this in motion. And I look back on the timing of it and just wonder at God's hand in it and what he was doing and I'm just in awe of it. And I am too. If, if there was video, you'd see Mary and I crying. Uh, tears of wonder and marvel at our God. Well, thank you, Mary. I, I don't know that there's anything else we can say. God continues to be good to us here. Um, thank you for coming on today and being right up front with us. I want to thank uh, all the li listeners. Be sure to subscribe for more awesome stories of God's grace, His mercy, and amazing miracles in the lives of those here at Grace Centers of Hope. Thank you, and God bless.